Uh, this morning to give us uh, the Bible reading. Uh, so this morning's Bible reading will come from Acts 24. Uh, so if you're looking for a Bible uh, and you haven't got one, uh, there's plenty of Bibles at the back. So yeah, feel, feel free to grab one at any stage. Uh, so this morning's Bible reading will come from uh, Acts 24. Uh, yeah, so yeah, put your hand up if you need a Bible. There's some stewards going around. Um, it's a bit of a jump from last week, um, so I'll just try to fill you in real quick uh, between uh, what happened last week till this week. Uh, so um, last week, yeah, Paul, uh, we, we learned about Paul and his uh, journey to Ephesus. And in uh, chapter 20, um, Paul gets a chance to say one last farewell uh, to the church in Ephesus, um, where, he, where he had spent yeah, a few years building up the church there. Uh, he then presses on to Jerusalem. Uh, yeah, and despite knowing the, the dangers that are coming up there, and, and also knowing that it's possibly a one-way trip to, to Jerusalem. And while in Jerusalem, in chapter 21, uh, the devoted Jews and uh, some of the Jewish leaders there oppose him, and a riot nearly breaks out, similar to what happened at Ephesus uh, in the last week's sermon. And uh, at that stage, uh, Paul is actually saved from the mob and arrested by the, by the Roman soldiers. And in chapter 22 and 23, he's trialed by, by Jewish court and the Sanhedrin, and that's where we get to uh, chapter 24. Uh, as, as a Roman citizen, uh, Paul is uh, granted a trial before the Roman governor, Felix, uh, and where the Jewish leaders are able to bring uh, their charges against him. So we'll read uh, chapter 24 uh, this, this morning from verse 1. Uh, five days later, uh, the high priest Ananias went down to Caesarea with some of the elders and a lawyer named Tertullus. And they, and they brought their charges against Paul before the governor. When Paul was called in, Tertullus presented his case before Felix. We have enjoyed a long period of peace under you, and your foresight has brought about reforms in this nation. Everywhere and in every way, most excellent Felix, we acknowledge this with profound gratitude. But in order not to weary, weary you further, I would request that you be kind enough to hear us briefly. We have found this man to be a troublemaker, stirring up riots among the Jews all over the world. He is a ringleader of the Nazarene sect, and even tried to desecrate the temple. So we seized him. By examining him yourself, you will be able to learn the truth about all these charges we are bringing against him. The other Jews joined in the accusation, asserting that these things were true. When the governor motioned for him to speak, Paul replied, I know that for a number of years you have been a judge over this nation, so, we glad, so I gladly make my defense. You can easily verify that no more than 12 days ago I went up to Jerusalem to worship. My accusers did not find me arguing with anyone at the temple or stirring up a crowd in the synagogue or anywhere else in the city, and they cannot prove to you the charges they are now making against me. However, I admit that I worship the God of our ancestors as a follower of the way, which, which they call a sect. I believe everything that is in accordance with the law and that is written in the prophets. And I have the same hope in God that these men themselves have, that, they will, that there will be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. So I strive always to keep my conscience clear before God and man. After an absence of several years, I came to Jerusalem to bring my gifts uh, for the poor and to present offerings. I was ceremonially clean when they found me in the temple courts doing this. There was no crowd with me, nor was I involved in any disturbance. 
But there are some Jews from the province of Asia who ought to be here before you and bring charges if they have anything against me. All these who are here should state what crime they found in me when I stood before the Sanhedrin, unless it was this one thing I shouted as I stood in their presence. It, it is concerning the resurrection of the dead that I'm on trial, that I am on trial before you today. Then Felix, who was well acquainted with the way, adjourned the proceedings. When, when Lysias, the commander, comes, he said, I will decide your case. He ordered the centurion to keep, guard, uh, to keep Paul on the guard, but to give him some freedom and permit his friends to take care of his needs. Several days later, uh, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was uh, Jewish. He, he sent for Paul and listened to him as he spoke about, about faith in Christ Jesus. As Paul talked about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid and said, that's enough for now, you, you may leave. When I find it convenient, I will send for you. At the same time, he was hoping that Paul would offer him a bribe, for he sent for him frequently and talked with him. Uh, when two years had passed, Felix was su succeeded by Portius Festus. Uh, and, but be because Felix wanted to grant a favor to the Jews, he left Paul in prison. This is God's word. All right, thank you, Ray. Well, good morning, church. So good to be here. Uh, my name is Matt, one of the pastors here. Uh, it's great to see some new faces around this morning as well. Uh, we're going to be looking at that part of the Bible together this morning. So keep that open in your Bibles if you're reading along or uh, look it up if you haven't uh, had a good look at that already. Uh, now, uh, I don't know what you guys were discussing in your little uh, discussion moments before. I should let you know that we actually planted recorders under all of the chairs and we have all your confessions and we all know all your dark secrets now. Now, I, I wanted to actually tell you about a, a story about how I got in trouble once. It was a little bit embarrassing for me because uh, there I was, a pastor, and it was after a church event had just finished. Uh, it was a night, uh, it probably would have been about nine o'clock at night, and then I was just kind of heading my way off home from that, and not about five or six hundred meters down the road, I got the dreaded little siren as a cop car pulled up right behind me. Now, remember, I'm not that far away from church, so I'm kind of desperately hoping that uh, no one would recognize my car and, and work out what's going on. Uh, but the cop comes around, uh, you know, comes around to the window as they do, and uh, he started with a, actually quite a peculiar question at first. He actually said, uh, so, have you moved house recently? I had no idea what was going on. I was a little bit kind of terrified, as you are, when the cops pull you over. Uh, he just asked me that question about whether I'd moved house recently, and I was like, uh, yeah, actually, I had. Probably about four or five weeks earlier, we had just moved house. Anyway, he came and said to me and said, well, so I don't know if you realise, but you're actually driving an unregistered car. Now, that's actually a pretty bad thing to do. It's a pretty big deal. The cop was very understanding and, and helpful with that all. Uh, but uh, obviously, he'd seized me up and kind of worked out, yeah, I don't think this is a stolen car. I'm pretty sure that uh, he's just moved house and just forgotten about it. Uh, but there I was, kind of just terrified about the whole thing, and uh, got at least one message from one congregation member, just checking in on me, going, were you okay? Is everything all right? Just checking, just checking. So I was uh, at least recognized by one person. Now, it's not the nicest feeling, is it, being crossed by authority. 
you feel pretty powerless. Uh, you know that they have that authority over you. You know that they could fine you, they could put you in jail, whatever it is. Uh, maybe it was a teacher or the principal's office or whatever it was for you. You know that because they have that authority. They've got that power over you. It's a very stressful thing. Now, what we're seeing here and what we're going to be looking at this morning is Acts chapter 24, uh, which, you know, again, if you're just joining us, we've been looking at Acts uh, pretty much since uh, about September last year through to now. And it's the story of how the early church comes together and how the gospel spreads out from uh, Jesus' death and his 12 disciples and how it spreads across the world. Now, we're at this point where uh, Paul has been doing some fantastic ministry all across uh, the Middle East there, uh, and he's on his way back to Jerusalem, uh, where he is there to deliver some gifts, some, some money for some of the churches there in, uh, in Jerusalem. Now, he's all kind of doing that in, in good conscience uh, when uh, he finds himself embroiled, uh, arrested, and then stuck in the legal Roman system. Now, uh, I don't know how many people out here uh, kind of love a good uh, law and order type show. Uh, anyone into law and order, uh, suits, uh, any of those big legal shows? Uh, if, this is, if that's you, then this is a chapter for you. In fact, this whole next section of Acts, a whole section from about uh, chapter 21 to 26, is basically a series of law cases. Now, before we get to this trial, we're going to hear a little bit more about Paul, because uh, before he gets to Jerusalem and he goes on trial, uh, he actually uh, has had this really successful um, uh, ministry, uh, seeing people converted, seeing the, the early church being born and churches being planted in all sorts of towns all over the place. But what happens is he has this really teary farewell with the elders at Ephesus. Uh, as Ray mentioned earlier, he spent some time there and really got to know them, and he really loved that church. But as he farewells them, he has this little statement that, that explains uh, uh, what he thinks is going to happen to him and why it is that he does what he does. And it's actually really helpful for us to get inside the mind of Paul when we try to understand what it is and how it is that he is able to, to keep going in the midst of all that's happening for him. So you can flick back with me if you want to Acts chapter 20, verse 22. Acts chapter 20, verse 22. Uh, it'll be up on the, the wall there as well. Uh, and this is what he says in his farewell speech. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the good Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. You know, it gets me thinking, doesn't it? I mean, how much is your life worth? What are the kinds of things that you would give your life for willingly? Paul's got a very clear sense in what his mission is, of what his God-given purpose is. He's got a very clear sense that actually this is the most important thing. This is so important for him that he would be willing to give up his life for the sake of the gospel. And so even as he travels, knowing that there is danger, knowing that when he rides back in Jerusalem, that things were going to happen there to him, he says, that's okay. I know what I'm here for. And if this should cost me my life, then it will cost me my life. 
but this is the task that God's given me, and so I'm just going to go anyway. I think it's actually quite a stunning statement, really, isn't it? You know, I think actually that's one of the keys as we're thinking about Paul and we think about his life and as we think about our lives, about what it means for our faith to be able to stand the test of of trials and of difficulty, of challenges, of obstacles in life. So you've kind of got that sense from, from what Paul said. You know, he's got a very clear sense of God's purpose in his life. He's got a very clear sense of why he's here, why he's here on earth. He's got a complete trust that actually God's got him. No matter what happens, I think it's extraordinary. I think these elements are important for all of us, for all of our lives. See, to what extent do you know what you're here on earth for? Because I think it's just so interesting. I think in our world, we spend actually a lot of time and money and energy trying to discover what that thing is. Uh, whether we go uh, traveling to go and find ourselves, gap years, I heard you know, people going for romance or, 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 or pleasure or whatever it is, trying to find our life purpose, to find the reason why we're here. And maybe Paul's life purpose should be something that we should think about. To what extent is testifying to the good news of God's grace a key part of your life, your life's purpose, your life's goal? Hey, and that would really help to kind of refine and clarify our lives, wouldn't it? Help us think about how it is that we spend our time and our energy and our money and all of those things. If we had a clear sense for which the purpose which God had placed us here on earth. See, I think actually what's one of our struggles, isn't it? Isn't it, church? Like, we just struggle to be like really single-minded about stuff because there is so much going on. We get so many messages all the time about what we should be spending our time and money on and we get dragged and pulled around every which way and we start to lose focus. We start to forget about the things that are important. We forget to think, we start to forget about God's mission to save this world. And so church, I hope there's one thing that you've gotten from Acts. I hope that you hear the call from God to go and make witnesses to the ends of the earth. Now, that looks different for all of us, doesn't it? I mean, not all of us are going to be frontline missionaries like Paul, kind of life on the line, uh, preaching the good news to, to people who had never heard the gospel before. But we've heard about things that are happening in the life of our church, the Mark drama, the ways in which we can support and, and, and be part of that. See, maybe for years acting. Maybe you're supporting to make it happen. Maybe you're inviting friends. Make that a priority because this is the purpose for which God has made us, has saved us, to send us out, to go and be witnesses to the ends of the earth. All right, well, let me summarize about some of the events that do come up. Um, Ray gave us a good summary, but I'll just put, chuck it up there on the screen so that we can all uh, get on, on, uh, on board with. Uh, this is what happens over the course of Acts chapter 20 to 26. Uh, so Paul returns to, to Jerusalem to deliver that aid to the Christians there. Uh, when he goes to the temple, he's lynched there. He's lynched by a, a mob uh, of, uh, of, of some of his Jewish opponents. Uh, but before he's killed, the Romans arrive and they save the day. So they take him into custody. Now, he then appears before the Sanhedrin, which is a, a court of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, um, before he's then sent on trial to Governor Phoenix, uh, Felix, sorry, and then he goes on trial before the Governor Festus, who takes over from Felix, before he's brought before uh, King Agrippa, and then finally he's sent on to Rome. 
So he ends up spending all this time in the Roman legal system. It's around two years of time uh, under the custody of the Romans. So again, you can imagine just putting yourself in Paul's shoes for a moment that you're completely at the uh, power and the beck and call of the Romans. Uh, uh, they, could, uh, they could end his life. They could leave him in jail for the rest of his life, uh, not knowing what's going to happen to him. I can imagine what they would have been like. You can imagine for someone like Paul, he spent his life, he's already given his life for the sake of the gospel. He's already risked his life many times. He's been stoned, he's been jailed already. And here he is, he finds himself in Jerusalem under Jewish custody. So what we're going to do, we're going to have a look at one of those trials, because I think this one best represents actually everything that goes on over these few chapters in the Bible. Uh, so uh, come with me, uh, Acts chapter 24. Acts chapter 24. Okay, consider this the, the case of uh, the high priest Ananias versus Paul the Apostle. Verse 1. Five days later, the high priest Ananias went down to Caesarea with some of the elders and a lawyer named Tertullus, and they brought their charges against Paul before the governor. When Paul was called in, Tertullus presented his case before Felix. We have enjoyed a long period of peace under you, and your foresight has brought about reforms in this nation. Everywhere and in every way, most excellent Felix, we acknowledge this with profound gratitude. But in order not to weary you further, I would request that you be kind enough to hear us briefly. All right, so transport yourself into the courtroom moment now. We're in there at the court, uh, uh, and you see that the high priest Ananias, he's got his hired gun, doesn't he? Uh, the, the, you know, the, the kind of ex, uh, the really expensive, slick lawyer, uh, Tertullus, the expert, um, uh, he brings him in to kind of uh, press the charges for him. And you can tell that in the way, just the way that even Tertullus opens, doesn't he? Just, he's just outpouring of flattery. Oh, oh, Governor Felix, you have been such a great governor to us. Now come and hear what we have to say. Good old-fashioned flattery. So, what is, he, what is the charge? Verse 5, we have found this man to be a troublemaker, stirring up riots among the Jews all over the world. He is a ringleader of the Nazarene sect and even tried to desecrate the temple. So we seized him. By examining him yourself, you will be able to learn the truth about all these charges we are bringing against him. Now, I just want you to take a moment to uh, grasp what Tertullus is saying and the, and the very loyally kind of twists and things that he, and spin that he puts on, on, on those words because, you know, this is, this is the kind of thing that actually you might experience as well. Now, I should say, of course, that this is a bit of a, a bridge version. Like, Luke's probably summarizing um, all of the arguments. The case of the trial probably doesn't take uh, this short amount of time. But I actually wanted to, to just have a look at those words. You know, what are the things that Tertullus says? Well, he says, well, we found this man to be a troublemaker. You know, isn't that just one of those things? Just put that label out there nice and early in the trial. He's a troublemaker. What else has he said? He says he's been stirring up riots among the Jews all over the world, you know, just exaggerating. Yes, actually, if you read through Acts, there were some riots. There were some, they weren't started really by Paul. They were actually started usually by people who were angry at Paul. And those riots actually didn't have really much to do with Paul. They were very much about people who felt dotted by the fact that uh, the gospel was growing and the church was growing. But then he's painted into a, a, then a dangerous light. You know, he's a ringleader, ringleader of a sect, this sect of these Nazarenes, you know, makes, make him sound real dangerous. 
And then worst of all, they say, well, he, he tried to desecrate the temple. By which what they're referring to is that Paul was seen at the temple uh, with a Gentile. Now, we'll come back to these because you might find that actually you find an experience like this in the workplace. If you're in a hostile place, a hostile workplace, uh, would you find people name-calling, kind of painting you in a bad light just because you're a Christian? I suspect some of you have experienced that. But we're going to hear Paul's defense now. What is Paul's defense? Now, it's interesting because, um, you know, Ananias has his hired gun, but Paul doesn't have anyone to represent him. He's there just uh, uh, representing himself, which, uh, again, if you, you know, follow those law uh, movies or shows, you know that's always a bad idea. I suspect Paul didn't have any choice over it. Verse 10, what does he say? When the governor motioned for him to speak, Paul replied, I know that for a number of years you have been a judge over this nation, so I gladly make my defense. You can easily verify that no more than 12 days ago I went up to Jerusalem to worship. My accusers did not find me arguing with anyone at the temple or stirring up a crowd in the synagogues or anyone else in the city, and they cannot prove to you the charges they are now making against me. I actually love the way that Paul opens. It's just very calm, very factual, just kind of stating the facts that actually you won't be able to find anyone who actually uh, saw me arguing with anyone at the temple. But he does admit to something, doesn't he? Verse 14. However, I admit that I do worship the God of our ancestors as a follower of the way, which they call a sect. I believe everything that is uh, in accordance with the law that is written in the prophets. And I have the same hope in God as these men themselves have, that there will be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. So I strive always to keep my conscience clear before God and as a man. After an absence of several years, I came to Jerusalem to bring my people gifts for the poor and to present offerings. I was ceremonially clean when they found me in the temple courts doing this. There was no crowd with me, nor was I involved in any disturbance. But there are some Jews from the province of Asia who ought to be here before you and bring charges if they have anything against me. Or these who are here should state what crime they found me in when I stood before the Sanhedrin, unless it was this one thing I shouted as I stood in their presence. It is concerning the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial before you today. You know, I kind of love the way that Paul kind of redirects things. I mean, he just states the facts of, of his travels, the, the facts of what he's been up to. Uh, I don't think he's trying to uh, kind of, kind of uh, you know, cover over things that have happened. He says, well, yeah, some things have happened, and if those Jews and Asians want to come and bring their charge, we'll let them come and bring their charge. The people who stand before me today have nothing, nothing truly, no basis to their accusations. But I love the fact that even in, in uh, Paul's defense, he can't help but speak about Christ, can he? You see a little bit of his heart there, don't you? Like, here he is on trial, and he can't but speak about the fact that, well, I was, I was just preaching about the resurrection, about Jesus. You know, he's, he, he says, like, even in all of this, he's, he's on about the gospel, first and foremost. What happens after? Verse 22. Then Felix, who was well acquainted with the way, adjourned the proceedings. When Lysias, the commander, comes, he said, I will decide your case. He ordered the centurion to keep Paul under guard, but to give him some freedom and permit his friends to take care of his needs. So, so far, Paul's defense has actually been pretty successful, hasn't it? 
You know, Felix actually grants Paul a degree of freedom. It uh, turns out that Felix actually, uh, he knows something about the Christian movement uh, known as the Way. Uh, you know, I think we shouldn't surprise us because uh, uh, Felix, as the governor over Judea, he took over from Pontius Pilate uh, that you might know. Uh, so I'm sure he got a bit of a handover about this Jesus who was crucified, which people reckon they re- uh, he came back from the dead. But what happens next is, I think, the extraordinary thing. See, Paul now gets his chance to preach to Felix himself in, in some private quarters. See, what actually turns out is that, um, is that uh, Paul, uh, uh, Felix's wife, Drusilla, is actually a Jew. In fact, she's not just any Jew. Uh, it turns out that actually Drusilla and her family have been deeply involved with the church. In fact, they've been uh, the prime persecutors of the church. She's from his family uh, known as uh, Herod Agrippa's family. And, and Herod was one who uh, had uh, James killed and he, and he put Peter in jail. And so there is this, this strong connection between Felix and his wife and the Christian church. So read on with me, verse 24. Several days later, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish. He sent for Paul and listened to him as he spoke about faith in Christ Jesus. As Paul talked about righteousness, self-control, and judgment to come, Felix was afraid. And he said, that's enough for now. You may leave. When I find it convenient, I will send for you. At the same time, he was hoping that Paul would offer him a bribe, so he sent for him frequently and talked with him. All right, so... Imagine this space now. They have this uh, prominent Christian leader in their custody. And so what do they do? I think out of their interest, out of their curiosity, they bring him around just to talk to him, to find out more, to understand. And so you have this amazing kind of situation where here's Paul the Apostle. Now he gets just a private kind of audience with the governor and his wife and is able just to expound the gospel over and over to them over, over many, many meetings. Now... I want to ask you, though, there's something that was interesting in there, wasn't it? So he said that Felix was afraid. Felix was afraid in response to Paul's uh, preaching to them. I want you to have, uh, take 30 seconds to chat to the person next to you. Why do you think Felix, the governor, the Roman governor, the one who's got all the power here, why is he afraid? Have a chat to the person next to you. See if you can uh, work out or, or come up with some ideas why you think he might be afraid.
All right, I'll put you up there. It's always interesting to kind of ask those questions. Whenever you find something that's kind of just interesting or might catch you off guard in the Bible, it's always good to kind of ask those questions why. I told you a little bit of background about Felix and Drusilla, and uh, I've got no doubt that they were there genuinely wanting to listen and to learn. But I also suspect that they have a few skeletons in the closet. You see, you don't get to a position like Felix without uh, having some uh, underhanded dealings. In fact, we heard a little bit about Drusilla and her background as well, and her, her, the skeletons in her family's closet. Now, I think that as Paul's there, he's preaching about these things. He's preaching about, what does he preach about? Faith in Jesus, righteousness, self-control, judgment to come. These are all things, that are all parts of the gospel, aren't they? But if you start thinking about it, what does it mean that God might actually hold people to account for the things that they've done in their lives? What does it mean that actually God cares about the things that we do on our day-to-day basis? The fact that, uh, that there's only one way to avoid that judgment, and that is faith in Christ Jesus. You see, church, the gospel never leaves you comfortable. It shouldn't leave you comfortable. You see, Paul doesn't avoid that hard stuff. He doesn't stop preaching about judgment. He doesn't stop preaching about the fact that there's only one way to salvation in Christ Jesus. He goes to all those hard places. And if you're doing that with people, it's going to make them feel uncomfortable. It will. Now, it seems that for Felix and Drusilla, they, in spite of all their, they're hearing the gospel over and over and over, and then saying to actually, it's doing something for them, you know, they probably just wanted to learn a bit more about it. Now they're feeling kind of personally, kind of uh, personally convicted by this in some way, but they never come to faith, as far as we know. You see, you can hear the truth of the gospel over and over and over but you can keep putting it off. You can keep putting it off, and especially because the gospel costs you. Especially when the gospel it would be uncomfortable for a Roman ruler and for his wife, whose family has, has, has been persecuting the Christian church, to put their faith in Jesus. That would be wildly difficult and wildly uncomfortable. And so what do they do? Well, they keep procrastinating the decision. They, go, they, want, they love hearing Paul. They love engaging with him. They keep putting it off, don't they? You know, I mean, I remember meeting up with a guy at uni, and uh, we actually read through the whole book of Romans together, the whole book of Romans. And the whole way through, you know what he kept saying? He kept saying, no, I'm really convinced by this stuff. I think it's true. Uh, he'd actually kind of come through high school and had, and had, had um, some great witnesses there from his friends and from, uh, from, from uh, some of the teachers there at school. He said, I think it's all true, but I don't want to give up the party lifestyle that I have. I just love this too much. It would be too uncomfortable to then suddenly go out to my friends and say, I've become a Christian. And so he never did. He never got there. Now, I think Felix sufficiently puts it off, and he eventually puts it off long enough so that he could hand him over to be someone else's problem now, which he does at the end. You saw that in verse 27. Uh, Felix gets uh, succeeded by Festus, who then takes over, and he leaves him in prison in spite of the fact that I'm sure that Felix knows that Paul is innocent. And so what happens uh, is that uh, you just have this whole sequence of trials from here. A similar thing happens with Festus as he comes and takes over uh, the case. Now... What I love, though, is that all the way through these chapters, 
Paul never misses his chance to preach the gospel. He'll preach them to high, to low, to anyone who will listen. And even the people who are there in the court, he continues to preach the gospel. In fact, I think that's one of the key points from this passage. Paul never misses that chance. Now, I love there's this little section. I'll just read this out to you. This is from uh, chapter 26, because there's another example of the way in which uh, Paul continues to preach the gospel, even to those in power and authority. In this case, to Festus and to King Agrippa. Here's the verses. At this point, Festus interrupted Paul's defense. You are out of your mind, Paul, he shouted. Your great learning is driving you insane. I'm not insane, most excellent Festus, Paul replied. What I am saying is true and reasonable. The king is familiar with these things, and I can speak freely to him. I am convinced that none of this has escaped his notice, because it was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. Then Agrippa said to Paul, Do you think in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? Paul replied, Short or long, I pray to God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am, except for these chains. You know, in just the funny way in which this is all works, you know, Paul, who I can imagine, would have been thinking, what am I doing in jail? God, what am I doing here? I'm just stuck here perpetually in legal limbo. We see the purpose here, don't we? Here are kings and rulers and governors having the gospel intimately preached to them. This is the purpose for which, uh, which God has Paul here. You know, I loved hearing some of the stories about the uh, late Billy Graham, uh, you know, the great American evangelist. Uh, you know, I don't know if you knew this, but uh, 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 he found himself as a pastor to the presidents of, the, of America, uh, to the Queen of England, and he had many opportunities to sit in private uh, court with them and to, to just bring them the gospel. It was amazing to hear about that. But what I, the thing I think that struck me most about him was his integrity. Because actually, uh, you know, there's been so many big, uh, famous evangelists who have uh, fallen into some sort of uh, uh, moral problem. But I think part of the reason why Billy the Graham was so uh, effective was his integrity. You see, right now, isn't it so true that, um, that our integrity is as important as our, world, uh, as our word? Because our world is just looking for ways to find Christians out right now. You, know, you don't have to look too far in the news to kind of find um, about a prominent church at the moment that is in trouble for the misuse of its funds. Uh, there is a, a Catholic group that's uh, been a bit kind of uh, violent and trying to stop some protests and that sort of thing. You know, I think there's, there's that out there. It's just in the flavor of our world, and they're trying to find Christians out. And so our integrity is just so important. And I think that's one of the things about Paul is all the way through, people keep uh, asking him and people keep uh, questioning him and trying to find out more about him. And yet, uh, what happens at the end of it, like here, verse 30, the king rose and with him, the governor and Bernice and those sitting with them. After they left the room, they began saying to one another, this man is not doing anything that deserves death or imprisonment. Now, not everyone is going to be this kind of frontline worker like Paul is, uh, breaking new grounds, uh, risking your life uh, as a missionary. But on the deeper level, I think we need that deep conviction, don't we? We need that deep conviction that we're part of this great redemption plan for the world. It might be to witness to your uh, workplace, 
Maybe it's to be the inviter along to, to events. Maybe it's to be a teacher, an evangelist. You may be all the logistics person or the admin person that helps this all happen. Well, friends, you know, I wonder what it looks like, would look like for you to continue to be that influence in that place where you're at. And it might be really hard. It might be really hard in the place that you're at, in your workplace. Maybe there are people who are against Christians. Maybe there are people who tease you and they're, they're out to get you. I think there is something about, uh, there's something about our integrity as it's lived out before people that we're willing to, to bear what, like Paul, bear what Paul bears for the sake of the gospel. You know, in our life group, we've had a lot of fun wrestling uh, with the book of Acts so far. Uh, but one of the things that's been, uh, been actually uh, uh, quite stark for me is the way that as we jump from Acts to Brisbane, what I'm hearing and what I'm hearing from people in our group is just how much pressure there is in those workplaces. The kind of things that go on, the little derogatory comments, the things that, you know, people making comments about stuff that might be in the news, for example. And it's hard. It's tough. You know, people are looking down on you for being Christian. And it makes it phenomenally difficult to evangelize, doesn't it? When you feel like you're on the back foot all the time. And we've been able to share some of those stories together. It's been, and it's been kind of good for us and quite opening for me as a pastor who spends his time around Christian community. But that's our temptation too, though, isn't it? And it would be very natural to lose heart, wouldn't it? To stop evangelizing, to hide our faith, keep our heads down. So if you keep your head down, well, maybe you can stay out of trouble. But church, I hope that in our journey through Acts, we've seen time and time again, the gospel won't be stopped by any kind of opposition here or there or any kind of authority. The kingdom will continue to grow under the hand of a gracious God who calls all to repent. In fact, what I get from this is just how much Paul's experience and maybe your experience actually resembles Jesus' experience. Jesus' experience. See, for how many of you face up to false accusations and slurs made against your name, how many of you kind of feel like you're almost on trial in your workplace? And how much does that actually reflect what Jesus himself went through? Yeah, I think there's a key point here to learn, isn't there? The ultimately, that opposition is not against you personally. It's against Jesus. You're just living out that Christ-centered life that, 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 that kind of just brings out that opposition naturally. Because our world wants to kind of get in there and to bring that opposition to kind of uh, uh, take you down. But church, I want to go back to those key points that we heard. How do, you, uh, how do you sustain yourself? How do you stand against the trials in your faith? Have a clear sense of God's purpose in your life. A complete trust in God's sovereignty over your life. And you could probably add this point there too understand that when opposition arises, it's opposition against Jesus. It's not against you personally. You know, church, I reckon if we really take these things to heart, if you really take those, those things on board, we have a clear sense of who you are. You have a clear sense of that God's in control, yes, even of the really hard stuff that might be going on for you right now. You know what? I reckon if you take that stuff to heart, that's when you become truly unstoppable.
Not that you yourself personally become unstoppable, no, but, but when, you, when you can stand that way and you have that understanding of who you are before God and what God is doing in the world, His unstoppable gospel can now be, you are now an instrument in His hands to see that gospel continue to go forth, yes, even into hard places. You see, if we to take something from Acts, is that we've got to see that, hey, you know, Paul, he went, had all these fruitful years in ministry, in, in, on mission, on the mission field, and then finds himself stuck in this hard place. He would have been angry and frustrated and perplexed at, time, at times, and yet he never gives up preaching the gospel. I think he's got such a clear sense for him that, hey, if I'm in jail, hey, if I'm appearing before governors and before kings, well, then maybe this is where God needs me right now. This is where God wants me. I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing, preaching the gospel. You see, how do you understand those hardships and those obstacles in your life? Might they be part of God's plan to bring the gospel through you as you with integrity continue to stand before others and bring the gospel to bear on their lives? But my last word this morning is actually to the Felixes and the Drusillas out there. Because maybe you've been actually listening to the gospel preached over weeks, months, maybe even years. Maybe you've been putting off that decision because, well, truthfully, it's just more comfortable to kind of keep going on, on the path and the way in, of your life in which you've been going. You know, if that's you, then I want to say to you that the gospel of faith in Christ Jesus that brings us that forgiveness and salvation is here and you are privileged to be one of those who have heard that message. And I don't know for you whether it's just a head problem, whether it's a heart problem, whether there's a barrier, there's something that's stopping you there. I'll be praying for you. But I know this, our time on earth will be short. And the temporary things and the lives that we enjoy now will pass away. But only those who have their faith in Jesus will be able to go in and on enjoying that into eternity. Let me pray for you now. Father God, we do want to thank you for this story of Acts. We thank you for what we learn about the gospel, what we learn about Paul and his efforts against unbelievable opposition. Father, we pray that you would give us confidence, boldness, courage in the face of the heat, in the face of the trial. But Father, we also pray for those who are amongst us who have heard the gospel many times, for whom it's been a decision that they've been procrastinating and putting off. Father, we pray that you would bring them to faith in Christ Jesus. For Lord, that is the way of salvation. That is the way to life in his name. That is the way for an eternity of joy in relationship with you. And Father, we pray that this morning might be a morning where they would consider seriously the claims of Jesus and have faith in his name. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, church, uh, as we do here, we're going to spend a few moments now just reflecting, reflecting on that passage for you, reflecting on you and the gospel. So I want you to take...